Badonkadonk Train. That's the new song from Guy Davis's new CD, Be Ready When I Call You, and Guy Davis is on the line. Hi, Guy. Hi, Michael. How you doing? Good. I'm afraid to ask you, I, what is a badonkadonk? <laughs> okay, badonkadonk, let's just say that's the current way to express the uh, energetic part of the body that you sit on. <laughs> and Men often uh, look at women folk and they talk about uh, so-and-so and the padonkadonk. No. Uh, shapely pair of hips. But I guess men have padonkadonk too. Yes. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because you don't hear many songs about padonkadonks in folk music. Uh, I couldn't help it. It's a crazy <laughs> word. And, I, I, and, and, and I, I like the way the word feels in my mouth when I say it. I didn't mean for that to come out quite so twisted there, but it's a fun-sounding word. 
And I like to look at it in the philosophical sense. Where I was going, you know, when I wrote this song was uh, starting with my son and looking back at me and looking at my dad and every other male I know, basically. Uh, there comes a time when we get all of our attention sort of goes to the, the other sex and you get you get those wild feelings come up. And badonka donk is just one word you can use to express it. And it makes you not think too rationally sometimes. Well, you know, on this new album of yours, Be Ready When I Call You, you, you approach a lot of subjects that, uh, that are kind of risky, I think. Are, are you afraid? Is there anything that you don't write about? There were times when I stayed away from things to be on the safe side, to be a little correct. But maybe it's because the older I get, I'm getting a little more courageous. And I'm saying that life is too short to not say what is in your mouth to say and do what is in your heart to do. So I've been cautioned, put it that way, but I feel less afraid to speak up and speak out. Last week on the show, I played a song from your new CD, Palestine, O oh Palestine. And, of course, the subject has come up again uh, year after year, century after century of the Israeli and Palestine conflict. Why do you want to write about that? Well, yeah, I'll just start by saying it was in me to write. I have friends on all sides of this equation, friends who are uh, of the Muslim persuasion, some who are of the Hebrew persuasion, and that could be religiously, culturally. The last thing I want to do is call for anybody's blood. I don't believe in anti-Semitism. I do not being, uh, believe in being anti-Arab. I pray that there is room for peace between Israelis and Palestinians. But the only voices I've been hearing on the media are Israeli voices and American voices and European voices and United Arab Emirate voices. I haven't been hearing Palestinian voices. Now, me writing this song doesn't make it a Palestinian voice, but it's a human voice for the singer of the song to say, Palestine, oh Palestine, where have you gone? Where have you gone? I believe that the Palestinians are not feeling heard. And I don't think that for me to disagree, say, with the policy of Israel makes me anti-Semitic. Because again, I do not call for anyone's blood, but I call for everyone to have a voice. And that is why at the end of this song, Palestine, or Palestine, you have one mother singing, uh, calling Israel, Israel, you are my home. And then the Palestinian voice goes over and says, Palestine, Palestine, where have you gone? Where have you gone? Because I'm the composer, I get them to sing in harmony, even if it is about uh, ideas with divergent energy. Guy Davis is on the line. Have have you got any feedback about that song? But one important piece of feedback came from a rabbi. And he said that the song, it stirred him emotionally, not as positive as I might hope, but 
he said that when he was a young man, he flew to Israel to be with some family. And by the end of the flight, when he got off, the people who was, he was going to see had been killed, had been um, butchered. And I'm not, uh, remember this, this, this is not a one side only gets, you know, a blame for this kind of thing and he had he was the person who had to deal with this and see uh, that destruction yet he was this rabbi was a member of a group called rabbis for a two-state solution I had never heard of this so that made me feel good it's not meant to be a song that is going to be easy on any of any of us. Yet at the end, if I can get the audience singing two parts, one the Palestinian part, one the Israeli part, and singing in vigorous harmony, maybe there's a way to plant the seed of a solution founded on love, founded on do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, before I get accused of being a preacher, <laughs> I don't have a license to preach, but uh, I believe in people. I believe we can find these things. We can do these things. Guy Davis is on the line. We're talking about his song, Palestine, O Palestine, from his new album, Be Ready When I Call You. Another powerful song on the album is God's Gonna Make Things Over, and this is more about American history I'm referring to the Tulsa Race Massacre that happened 100 years ago. And I just found out about this a couple years ago, thanks to a HBO program about a comic book, no less. When did you first hear about this race massacre that happened 100 years ago? Only since 2019, when I got a gig at the Woody Guthrie Center in Tulsa. Because I'm a Woody Guthrie fan, a Pete Seeger follower, and that sort of thing. And it was just a few blocks away from the Greenwood Center that has photographs and interviews and sort of like a museum collection dedicated to the destruction of Greenwood, what they call the Black Wall Street. I had not heard of this. I'd heard of other places that met similar fates but this was yet another one. 100 years since a group of black townspeople from Greenwood marched armed down to the, I guess it would be the courthouse in Tulsa because there was a black man in jail and they wanted to make sure that this black man got a trial, lived to get a trial and was not lynched. They'd heard rumors of lynching. And the white townspeople saw them coming in with all these guns, but they were not brandishing them or pointing them. Now, uh, they were assured by the people in charge in the courthouse that the young black man would not be harmed, that he would stand trial. Well, they left. The white uh, folks were not having that, seeing those black folks coming there with those guns. And some shooting started, and it was on. And then the next day, my God, the black parts of town were being not just burned out by uh, looters and racists, they were being bombed from the air. The police came by and deputized the mob, who happened to be white. 
That's the whole kind of world that we have. To, we're trying to make conscious effort right now to turn over because people were brought up this way. They were brought up to look at race a certain way, which has absolutely has to change now. Let's listen to Guy Davis's God's Gonna Make Things Over. Oklahoma 1921 is when the killing had just begun. You know, God's gonna make things over one of these days. It ain't right, Lord, it ain't right. What the white folks did in Tulsa. On that night, W. Tate Brady was an evil man. He was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. You know God's gonna make things over one of these days. Negroes begging down on their knees. White folks hanging them up in trees. God's gonna make things over one these days. It ain't right. It ain't right. What the white folks did in Tulsa on that night. There was money in Greenwood Town. White folks burned it to the ground. You know, God's gonna make things over one these days. Black doctor raised his hands up high and they shot him just to watch him die. You know, God's gonna make things over one these days. It ain't right, it ain't right, what the white folks did in Tulsa on that night. Tell me, what did you learn? 
when you watch my body burn You know God's gonna make things over one of these days When you hang me from a tree Raise me high so my people see God's gonna make things over one of these days Guy Davis, from his new album, God's Gonna Make Things Over, about an incident that happened 100 years ago. It's interesting that you say God's gonna make things over. It, it kind of like puts the responsibility, takes it away from you, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it does. But let me tell you about the writing of this song. That phrase, God's gonna make things over, was floating around in my consciousness, and I was trying to write a song with that title, more than 10 years ago. And it didn't quite have a place to land, though my people may be slaves buried down in nameless graves. But when I went to the Greenwood Center in 2019 and looked at that exhibit, the song came together. I said, that, that phrase, God's gonna make things over, that is what this was designed for. In, in my mind as an artist, that's what it was. So I assembled the song out of very old parts. Now granted, I only got four or five verses, so it was a very rough sketch, but I wanted people to hear the singing of the phrase, it ain't right, it ain't right what the white folks did in Greenwood on that night. Now the phrase white folks, I've heard ever since I was a child. I'm talking about when my dad brought me to a meeting that was introducing Malcolm X, to a New York audience, we would hear similar phrases coming from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's camp. So I used that phrase in this song and it's about accountability, it's about responsibility, but mostly it's about inhumanity. And if you stand with inhumanity, then it definitely is not gonna make you or the so-called race you belong to look very good. Uh, God's going to make things over in the long run means that there's no one side that is going to put a, an end pin on this massacre. It's going to be made up of more than any one group. However, this gets solved, be it reparations for African-Americans. I'm not, I'm not sure, but now is the time when ugly, terrible things have to be unearthed. Now, Mike, I've been a lot of places. I remember, oh God, more than 30 years ago, close to 40 years ago, being in East Germany, when there was an East Germany, taking a trip there. I got to visit Buchenwald concentration camp and the graves of all those Eastern Europeans, Jews, 
gypsies. They had to give up their dead. They had, fingers had to be pointed. And it is no less right to do the same thing now that mass graves are being unearthed down in Tulsa, Oklahoma, containing the bodies of some of the 300 odd people killed, the vast majority of whom were black people, landowners, homeowners, business owners. Wow, I talk so much that uh, <laughs> I talk myself into it. My time, my, my tongue gets tired. <laughs> I'm speaking with Guy Davis. Uh, his new CD is be. Be ready when I call you. Uh, you mentioned your dad, uh, Ozzie Davis, and your mom, Ruby D, who were famous, quite famous actors. Uh, and you yourself have done some acting and some writing as well, playwright, even uh, won an award uh, uh, representing Robert Johnson in a play. Do you, uh, what, what, what's a better way for you to express yourself, on in the theater or in music? The only answer to that is yes. <laughs> um, I don't, in my deepest heart, I don't separate the two of them that much. Uh, a play is a situation where I can express myself as a storyteller, and it is whatever the author wrote is the story. And if I wrote the play, that's even better. But uh, sometimes I didn't write the play. It might be some guy named Shakespeare. I might have to come down and play Laertes. And I don't get to, you know, bring a guitar with me. Um, getting on stage to play music, um, I got songs, I got lines, but I can mix them around if I want to because it's a, a concert. But I get nonetheless to tell stories. That is what is in common with both of them. I become a storyteller, and that is what I am I, meant to do, Michael. My parents were that. They were storytellers as actors and as writers. I think as long as I can get a story told, I'm a happy camper. Now, I must admit that I have a slight uh, edge. I give myself a slight edge because I think I like hearing myself talk. <laughs> That's probably what it is, bumping my gums together. Well, since you're here, Guy, I have to ask you about your parents. Uh and and growing up, I guess, in, in, in New York is where you grew up, uh, and w through their connections, your parents' connections, you've you've had opportunities that, that most people don't have. Did you ever perform for your parents? For my, yes, I've performed for them, <clears throat> and they've seen me over the years as I've developed as a performer. I used to work in a nightclub back off of the 80s, and I was kind of learning learning what to do and the very last time they were together, oh my God, would be up in Canada. This is before my dad's death. And then later on my mom's, uh, we were in Western Canada and they saw me at a place called the Capitol Theater in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, the outskirts of Vancouver. So yes, they have seen me develop over the years, but I think my best work has come since they've both been gone. Uh, I've considered myself a work in progress. Are, are you uh, concerned at all about keeping the memory of your parents alive? I'm concerned in a way uh, because I think they had a great deal to contribute 
when it comes to African-American culture and awareness and a sense of history. Uh, they would go on the road with notebooks filled with poems, primarily by Black authors, but not exclusively. I remember they had poems by Yip Harburg in their notebooks. So, I mean, they, they gave a world presentation, which I consider my music to be as world music or uh, Americana, as well as blues. Uh, my parents had something to say. And the internet, though, is loaded, jam-packed with information, knowledge. It make you smart, but it does not make you wise. And I think wisdom is a human voice it takes a human interaction it takes uh talk over with somebody who's been down that path on the left and knows where not to go and what uh, lines not to cross and where the hidden well is that you might fall in wisdom that's something you do not get on the internet uh so yeah i think my parents are a voice of wisdom and even today i think it's a good idea that those voices be listened to. We have a, um, uh, my family has an uh, Aussie and Ruby uh, website. Uh, I think it's In This Life Together, but that that was also their uh, title of their biography. So um, just Google Aussie and Ruby and uh, you'll find our, our website. So we have relevant information. There are scholarship uh, monies that are given out every year. My sisters and I talk it over. And just to keep the what I call family magic, the family truth alive. Guy Davis is on the line. Be ready when I call you is his new CD. I want to get a couple more songs in real quick. Flint River Blues is is quite self-explanatory, but it you know it seems so simple what you're saying, so logical, and yet how do we get ourselves in these situations? You know, <laughs> you got me. But uh, here's my take on it. Of course, the song was written in what I'm going to call a Pete Seeger style, where people get to sing along on the uh, refrain. You hear this song, don't drink the water, keep moving along, don't drink the water. But there's history in this song. Back in the early 1800s, some section of the Flint River literally caught fire. As in there was a, a logging mill on the river somewhere and all the pitch and the pine tar and whatnot would leach into the water and there was a time when the water caught fire now the pollution that they're uh talking about has to do with lead being in the water and that was back in 2014 when the uproar happened when so many black folks were on the water line and the governor had just turned the Flint River back on as a source of drinking water to go to these communities, uh, maybe thinking, oh, well, you know, it's, it, whatever's impure will, will dissipate in the water, we're sure. Now, I don't know that there are literal dead fish floating in the river, but I think it's important to use that image because lead in water can bring about death, but it was bringing about brain damage. It was bringing about illnesses that the people of Flint were not ready for and should not have had to expect or be wary of. You don't connect up a polluted river 
to uh, a community. And just because the water looks clear does not mean that you do not go to the scientists to test it for sure. And when it was known that the water was polluted, the governor said, well, yeah, sorry about that. Of course, they had plastic bottles of water. But to people in Flint, they can't spend all their money on outboard water. They were drinking out of their faucets, which were connected to the river. So yes, it is simple. It is a basic message. Human life is, is paramount. And that this water can be, at worst, deadly. If not in the immediate life sense, then in the sense of a person's prospects when they're brains and their being have been affected by lead poisoning. Here's Guy Davis, Flint River Blues. Did you hear about Flint? They got a river runs through town. In Flint, Michigan, they got a river runs through town. But there's poison in the water and poison in the ground. The governor's staff, they had bottled water to drink. Yes, the governor's staff had bottled water to drink. But the children of Flint drank it from the kitchen sink. If you hear this song, don't drink the water, keep moving along. Don't drink the water if the fish are dead. Don't drink the water, it's filled with lead. Don't drink the water, don't drink the water till they make this river clean. Flint River water, worst I've ever seen. Flint River water is the worst I've ever seen. Wouldn't be surprised if it burned like gasoline. Governor Snyder told the people, go on and drink your fill. The governor told the people, go on and drink your fill. If this water don't kill you, I believe that nothing will. If you hear this song, don't drink the water, keep moving along. Don't drink the water if the fish are dead. Don't drink the water, it's filled with lead. Don't drink the water, don't drink the water till they make that river clean. What they did on Flint River 2014 was a crime. If you wouldn't give this water to your kids to drink, why would you give it to mine? If you hear this song, don't drink the water, keep moving along. Don't drink the water if the fish are dead. Don't drink the water, it's filled with lead. Don't drink the water, don't drink the water till they make that river clean. Now Newark, New Jersey has a water problem too. I said Newark, New Jersey has a water problem too. Lead pipes in the system, what are people gonna do? It's time to take action, time to take a stand. It's time to take action, it's time to take a stand. Gotta make some changes just as fast as we can. If you hear this song, don't drink the water, keep moving along. Don't drink the water if the fish are dead. Don't drink the water, it's filled with lead. Don't drink the water, don't drink the water till they make that river clean. If you 
you hear this song Don't drink the water, keep moving along Don't drink the water if the fish are dead Don't drink the water, it's filled with lead Don't drink the water, don't drink the water Till they make that river clean Flint River Blues from Guy Davis's new album, Be Ready When I Call You. Have you, uh, have you met Pete Seeger? Oh, yes. I mean, I've known him all my life. When I was eight years old, my parents sent me to a summer camp run by Pete Seeger's brother, John. So before I ever saw or heard Pete Seeger, I was hearing and learning his songs, the songs of Woody Guthrie, the songs of Lead Belly, the songs of so many folk practitioners, even Bob Dylan, I first heard at this summer camp. Now, uh, the entire camp made a trip uh, over the next couple of years to see Pete singing in an auditorium. One of the few times I remember him being in a suit, but there he was in a suit and tie and doing songs like Way Down South and Yankee Yank, the bullfrog jump from bank to bank, things like that. Um, one day when I was 11 years old, I came home from school and there was Pete Seeger standing in my family's living room talking with my folks, just like they were old buddies. And apparently they were. So I got introduced. A few years later, maybe just a very few years later, Pete came to our new house that we'd moved to in New Rochelle. And by then, uh, he invited me to go up to his cabin. And uh, I think by then I had met his daughters, Tina and Mika, who I still know to this, uh, to this day. And so I went up to the cabin and we're sitting in the car, Pete's in the driveway, this red VW bug, and he's got his arms outstretched and he's got on a red cap. And he says, so uh, guy, what kind of music do you like? And by this time, I, you know, kids, getting just a little smarmy. So I said to him, as if I'm saying, old man, you, you don't know a lot of things. I, so I said to him, I listened to James Brown, but my tone of voice was, was to say, have you ever heard of him, old dude? But, um, but you know, Pete, I think was wise. Uh, he was a wise person. Over the years, I got to go up there a bunch of times and meet Toshi, and I'd already met uh, Tina and Mika, who were older than me. So pretty much moved out. Oh, that's right. There was a, a long time as I was growing up in my 20s, I wasn't uh, up close to Pete. But then at about the age of 25, 6, 7, uh, we reconnected. And this was the year of Operation Sail, 1976, I think it was. New York City, all these old sailing craft sailed up the Hudson River. And uh, by then, Pete was... Uh, we were all over on the Jersey side looking at this and we were playing songs and uh, the movie Lead Belly directed by Gordon Parks had come out and Pete Seeger had uh, played some of the music for the movie, not all of it, but he helped to introduce, he and Arlo helped to uh, introduce the movie. So I got reacquainted with Pete, that would be back in what, 75, 76, something like that. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was doing opening gigs for him. I got to meet members of the Weavers, like Ronnie Gilbert and Fred Hellerman. I didn't get to meet Lee Hayes, but I'd seen him. I got to meet Malvina Reynolds when Pete took me to a concert. And again, I'm getting to do the opening sets. 
And this to me was like, wow, this is, this is tremendous fun here. And uh, by then the Clearwater festivals had started. We call them the Great Hudson River Revival back then in the 70s. And the first time I got to perform at that, I received the princely sum of $75. And I thought I was the king of the world. I said, man, I could seven. Hey, check me out. Look at me. I got 75 bucks. And uh, let's just say it kept on going from there, from the 70s through the 80s, through the 90s, through the 2000s. Uh, I got to calling them Aunt Toshi and Uncle Pete. And uh, they never turned their back on me or asked me to leave their home. Very sweet folks. I learned an awful lot from Pete Seeger, and I counted him as a dear friend. And I did get to be there the night that he died in the hospital in New York City. I left that hospital maybe an hour before he died, but we got to see him and say goodbye to him. And even though he couldn't speak and he could barely breathe, we were playing music and he would sort of thrash his fingers and hands and his feet after we did a song that was just his way of letting us know that he hurt us. And uh, so yes, Pete Seeger, I took him as a mentor. I never told him that, but he was one of a few mentors I've had. And, and it seems to me that you've why, one of the one of the things you learned from Pete Seeger is how singing together brings people together. Oh my gosh, yes. Anybody who's ever seen him knows that he can walk into a room, an auditorium filled with people, filled with strangers. And by the time he walks out, everybody there is friends because they have sung together. And he made them sound beautiful and they probably didn't realize that they could sound that beautiful and by the way this relates back to the song palestine oh palestine pete wrote a book detailing how uh, in the 60s he and his wife toshi took her credit card and they flew all around the world visiting many different countries and they went to palestine as well as israel and the people in Palestine would look at their passports and make faces, and the people in Israel would look at their passports and make faces and question whether they were going to let them in. Uh, so though Pete has ne never got to hear my song, I believe I know his, his heart when it came to Israel and Palestine. It's similar to what I expressed, that there uh, is wrong being done. And it's not necessarily where the media says it is, but we've got to look at it in human terms, in terms of human treatment and a human solution. That way, those of either religion or culture, hopefully will be able to fall in line under those the precepts of humanity. And I wanted that song, maybe to sound just a little bit like, you know, Pete Seeger might've written this. Guy Davis is on the line. Be ready when I call you is Guy's new CD. Before I play the last song, uh, one more question. How have you survived the uh, quarantine, the COVID lockdown? Oh, golly, Michael. Uh, thanks to the kindness of friends and people who were once strangers, uh, I took it in my head that, that I need to stay connected 
So though I know very little about the internet, with the help of my dear girlfriend, who I'm visiting right now, and she's sitting beside me, she helped me get jiggy with the internet enough to do a Facebook live cast. And I have done 350 of these to, as of today, starting last year in March, I guess it was. Um, and they started out at 15 minutes and now they've gone to a half an hour where every morning except Saturdays, I sing a couple of songs. We have a coffee salute. I call it coffee with Kokomo. Uh, and that's a reflection of my uh, character from my CD, Kokomo Kid. And that's uh, with two Ds, K-I-D-D. Um, uh, there is a Kokomo Kid Facebook page. And on that page is found my show, Coffee with Kokomo. And every morning we have people doing coffee salutes and we talk things, things that are in our hearts, our minds, sometimes very goofy things, things that leave us all laughing because laughter is such a luxury you know, in these times of uh, people getting shot every single day. I've been selling co coffee with Kokomo coffee mugs <laughs> and people have been buying them. And we started this weird pig pandemic. We have uh, squeaky pigs. <laughs> and just on my show, just to be goofy, I would kind of squeak them while I'm in the middle of singing a song. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, people went out and started buying pigs. And we've got about 48 of them. Oh, here's, here's one of them now. <laughs> that's one of the pigs. So that's Oinkamo. Okay. <laughs> Guy Davis, it's a pleasure talking to you. I'm going to end now with a song which is really incredible. I mean... You talk about world influences and, and empathy. Tell me about I've Looked Around. I've Looked Around uh, is, again, a song meant to excite human consciousness. It is a way to say that we are all the same. If we <clears throat> were to listen intently to each other's stories, we would find we have so much in common. Even with our differences, we have so much in common. Asking the question, have you seen my people? And saying, I've looked around, I've looked around, I, you know, I can't find them. It's just a way to excite human consciousness and say that there's room for improvement in all of us in the way we treat each other. Guy Davis, thank you so much for the beautiful work that you do. Here is from his new album, I've Looked Around, Guy Davis. Guy, thanks so much. You're welcome, Michael. We are refugees. We've landed on your shores. Some were drowned at sea. Don't turn us from your doors. You've heard our children's voices. They were hungry, so they cried. In your garbage, we find food. We must eat or we will die. Have you seen my people? I looked around, I looked around. Did they call out any name? I looked around, I looked around And what a 
about the children. I looked around. I looked around. Forced from homes at gunpoint in the middle of the night. They packed us onto trains that rode till morning light. I saw them take our neighbors, pull them to the side. In a concentration camp, I saw the way they died. Have you seen my people? I looked around, I looked around. Did they call out any names? I looked around, I looked around. Were they naked? Were they hungry? I looked around, I looked around. What about the children? I looked around, I looked around. We're from Chile, we're from Ireland, Croatia, and Vietnam. We're from Palestine, Rwanda. We're from India and Pakistan. From Russia, China, Cuba. We are German, Polish, Jews. We're Myanmar, Rohingya. We're native Clintu. Have you seen? Call out any names. I looked around, I looked around. Were they naked? Were they hungry? I looked around, I looked around. And what about the children? I looked around, I looked around. I've seen them walk a thousand miles for asylum through a gate, risking jail and deportation to stand there and beg and wait. So border guards take a baby from a nursing mother's breast. America is great, but this cannot be her best. Have you seen? I looked around, I looked around. Did they call out any names? I looked around, I looked around. Were they naked? Were they hungry? I looked around, I looked around. What about the children? I looked around, I looked around. Have you seen my people? I looked around. They call out any names. I looked around, I looked around. Were they naked? Were they hungry? I looked around, I looked around. What about the children? I looked around, I looked around. Have you seen my people? I looked around, I looked around. Did they call out? I'm the
What about the graveyards? I'm a girl. 